Thank you, everyone. All right, let's test this out. There you go. Today, I want to speak to you about Jesus is all you need. If you walk away here knowing nothing about what I said, that's fine. But remember this first sentence, Jesus is all you need. I had some pictures up. We work with MEF, an organization that flies in remote areas. And we lived for seven years in Arnhem Land, in the top end of Australia, um, amongst the Aboriginal people. And for the last five years, Renee has been uh, leading the training center to train new people into MEF. But God has called us back to the Netherlands. And in 10 days time, we'll fly back. And we don't know what awaits us, but I'm, we really feel strongly that God has the next step for us. So in my heart and my mind are already traveling ahead a little bit. So if I accidentally start speaking Dutch, I'm ex <laughs> hopefully excused. But for you, it might sound it's speaking in tongues. And in a Pentecostal church, that's all okay. <laughs> so today I'd like to take you on a journey. And I know each one of you have had a journey. Maybe you've gone on a plane on a nice holiday or maybe you did a big road trip. We're going on a journey. And before you go on a journey, you prepare, if you're wise. You pack your bags and you make sure that you've got enough clothes. You make sure that you've got all the money that you need, that you pay for your tickets, that you printed them out or got them on your phone online. You make sure that um, when you go away for longer, that you know which event you'll miss or which people you miss. And so before you go, you prepare. And the same is true for our journey into following Jesus. You prepare yourself to follow Jesus. And our verses today are a journey. It's a very challenging passage of scripture. I'm gonna warn you there. But we're gonna dive and walk through this journey together and see what God really means here. So let's read Luke 14, verse 25 to 33. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. It will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you pay to be considered one of my followers. Anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who would construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish. The neighbors will ridicule him and say, look at him, he started to build but could not complete it. Have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army to win the war against a stronger opponent? If he knows he doesn't stand a chance of winning the war, the wise commander will send out delegates to ask for the terms of peace. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, giving up all you possess, you cannot be one of my disciples. Like I said, an extremely challenging passage. And when Pastor David asked me to preach about what it is like to follow Jesus, the, the costs of discipleship, 
I bumped into this passage and I was really trying not to have this passage <laughs> because it's so challenging. But then I looked at the concept and it's actually coming back quite a bit of times in the Bible of having to give everything over to him. When he sends out the 72, he asks them to go with nothing and just be completely dependent on him. So I thought, okay, we'll dive in. But before we do that, we have to understand a little bit of the context. So to read a passage in scripture, anything really, is to look at what would it have looked like in that time. So when Jesus was preaching to a crowd, so we know that Jesus has fed 5,000 before, and those were only men. So say all those men have a wife, that's already 10,000. In those times, those people had more than one kid, but let's say for this exercise, they all have one child. That makes it 15,000 people following Jesus. And if you then know that Atherton has a population of 7,800, that is twice the size of Atherton following Jesus to listen to him, to hear what he's doing, to follow him, that is a big crowd. And so why would all these people follow him? Maybe because he's doing all those miracles and it's pretty cool to see and something new out of the normal day of life, you know, something different. So I think what Jesus is doing in this passage, he's asking them, why are you following me? Why are you really following me? And he's asking us the same question. And you know, we were missionaries and sometimes people think oh, we're an extra godly breed. We're not. <laughs> we are just in a journey that is just like your journey. Yes, we are called in different areas. We are called sometimes to go overseas, but each one of you is called into a journey, is called into a calling that God has for you. And each one of us is asked the same questions. Why are you following me? Now, when we read something that we don't quite understand, We've just read in this translation, it says, set aside your father and your mother, your wife. In some translations, it says, hate your father and mother. That's a really strong wording. What would he mean with this? So when you go into missions, when you go live in an, an overseas country or a different culture, you have to learn to think like those people do. Like coming in Australia, that's quite easy. We're all Westerners, we kind of think the same way. Although you guys are a little bit easygoing, we are much more ruder than you guys. <laughs> but going to Arnhem Land, the top end of Australia, the indigenous people we lived amongst have a very different worldview. So they look at things in a very different way than we do. And that's the same for Jesus. He was a Hebrew, he was a Jew. So his worldview is very different than our worldview. And so we have to try to look at what he is saying from his world perspective. So Jew Jewish people, Hebrew people, when they look at a hand, when they see the word hand, they don't just think like we do, that's a hand, or that's an eye. They don't just think that's the form, but they think it's function. So when they see the word hand, they think of what a hand can do. So a hand can give, or receive, or a hand can bless. So when they look at something like this, hate your father and mother, they're gonna look at, so what's the function? It's not just hate your father and mother, because that would be very contradicting 
wouldn't it? I mean, the law of God says to honor your father and mother. And you can't just set that aside and only say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever. (laughs) That's just not how it works. And the same for hate your wife. Well, Jesus says, I'm laying down my life for the church. And that's how you have to love your wife. So that would contradict. So we always have to look at the broader picture and not just at one thing. Now, now we've got that out of the way, let's dive into this verse. So if you think function, your family, your father and mother, like their family was very extended, they all lived together. In those times, family, what would that represent? A family would give you financial security, it would give you a sense of status, it would um, tell something about where you belonged, So family would give you a sense of belonging. And in our times, that's still the case. If we come from a broken family, we have to search for where we really belong. So family here, if you look at not just the form, but the function, is belonging. And when Jesus is saying, hate your father and mother, hate your family, set them aside for me, I think he is saying, where do you really belong? What if your family is set aside Would you lose your sense of belonging? What if I am where you belong? You know, and that is why Jesus is saying, I am all you need. You don't need your family. I am all you need. I am where you belong. When we left in the Netherlands 14 years ago, we left behind our family. All our family is back in the Netherlands. we're very blessed through Skype and you know, being able to visit them every two years. Um, it's very different than 50 years ago that we still have a lot of contact with our family, but still we had to leave them behind. And that's not always easy. We knew that when we were leaving that we, wouldn't have, we couldn't come back for funerals of our grandparents. So three of our grandparents passed away when we were here and we weren't able to go to their funeral. Also, three of our siblings got married, and we couldn't go to their weddings. And um, only in the one time in the last 14 years have we celebrated Christmas together. So, you know, going overseas is a sacrifice. But I'm not just saying this to you you, for you to have pity on us, because you don't have to, because God is so good. And that's why I'm sharing this with you because he has provided family for us. We've made such deep relationship with people around us that we couldn't have done before. You know, they're even closer to us than a brother or sister. And he actually provided a real family for us. We were adopted into an indigenous family. We were having brothers and sisters and um, people that we could call family when we lived in in the Northern Territory. And we could share together, despite the cultural differences. We could sit together, we pray together, we um, worship together. And the one thing, despite completely being from different cultures, which makes it challenging sometimes, is we had Jesus. And Jesus was the one thing that bound us together, that made us real family. So then the second point, He says, anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. 
for he cannot be considered my disciple. Well, we all know what it's like to bear a cross. Everyone has their own cross to bear. So that doesn't need a lot of explanation, apart from that the cross that Jesus wore came to his death. And I think all of us can say here that we haven't worn a cross that's led to our death yet, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But <laughs> I mean, in those times, it was quite normal for the disciples to be followed, uh, be a follower of Jesus, and death was a real thing. And I think we are very blessed that we haven't been in those situations. But let me introduce you before I go there. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I am all you need, I am your life. So even if you lose your life, I am your life. But that is sometimes very hard to say because this is Ryan Coer. He is an American MEF pilot. He serves in Mozambique with his wife and two little kids. Four months ago, they were just doing a routine flight with two of his South, um, American, South African helpers. And they were landing on an airstrip and they were detained by the authorities. They thought that um, they had drugs, stolen drugs, or smuggling drugs, or spies. It wasn't quite clear why they were detained. But he has been in prison for four months, in a high-security prison in Mozambique. And, um, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. It's not the, the nice high-security prisons we have here in Australia. It's a third-world country. And his wife and his kids have gone back to the US for their own safety. And, I mean, when he was there, you cannot imagine what it's like to lose your life like that. And you have no idea what it's going to be like. And I took this example because I really wanted to urge you to pray. But two days ago, he came out of prison <laughs> together with his helpers. He cannot leave the country, so it's not over yet. But while he was in prison, he didn't lose hope. He spent that time reading the Bible again and again completely. He had the opportunity to share from the gospel, sharing that it's not just following God in our words, but following God in our deeds. And so he also said, he wrote some letters, and he also said that he was so encouraged knowing that God had everything in his hands. Despite his struggles, despite the unknown of what his future would look like, um, he knew that God had the answer. And so when I hear that, I think, can I truly say Jesus is my all? If I would be in a situation like that, I don't know if I have that kind of faith. So he did come free, and his helpers as well, two days ago. But he's not allowed to leave the country yet. And his wife is in America, because um, there will still be trials to see whether they are innocent or not. So please do pray. And he is not the only one. I don't know if any one of you have ever seen The Last Reformation. It's a Danish guy who now lives in America who went on the street and prayed for people. A lot of people got healed and he had this whole almost uh, new idea of like the last reformation of really preaching and doing it at the same time. Um, he is also in prison in America for charges unknown already for eight months and he still isn't charged. He's still in America because he was practicing his faith on the streets. And um, so there is no sight yet of for him to for have freedom. He hasn't been charged. He's just in prison. His wife is having a really hard time. So Ryan isn't the only one. There are more. Yeah. 
Then Jesus will start with a little story. And when he starts with a story, you know that there is not just a nice, oh, let's hear a story, good. There is something in there, and there's probably multiple things in, in there. So he starts talking about this person who starts building a house. Everyone can see that he is building something. It's not something he is doing, you know, that no one can see, but it's visible, everyone can see it. And then he doesn't finish it, and everyone can see it. And then what happens is that his neighbors, his people around him, his friends amongst whom he lives, start mocking him and ridiculing him. Now, what do you think that person would feel like? I would feel like I've lost all my self-esteem and like I would be really dumb and everyone can see the, f the failure that I've just committed, like everyone can see it. So I think what Jesus is really saying here is, your value is in me. Not in what you do, not in what everyone can see, or even what's hidden, but I am all you need. Your value is in me. Now, when you um, read the Bible, a lot of times it talks about being persecuted for faith. The value of the people who are being persecuted could be really low, but they, they often know all these examples are like they're going for God. And we are in a very blessed situation that we live in a free country, we don't know what that's like. But from our own experience, when we left to uh, the first few years of our mission here in Arnhem Land, my brother, who's not a Christian, didn't understand why we would do that. He was like, why do you give up your career, your life, why are you taking my nephew to some kind of, why would you convince them of Jesus there? And you know, we're fine now and he's great, he's a great uncle. But I also know some friends who their parents are still very angry that they took away their grandchildren, because that's how they see it, to some faraway country, you know, you steal your grandchildren of us to serve this God. And so how painful that is to be misunderstood, to be ridiculed because you're following God. So in these situations, how and where do you find the joy to really follow Jesus? And from our experience, what we've noticed is despite how hard it is, knowing that you're in the right place, knowing that you're walking the walk that God wants you to walk is where you find your joy, knowing that you're obedient to God. And yes, it still hurts. And somehow the hurt is at the same level as the peace that God's giving you. Yeah. The hurt and the peace can be together. Yeah. We often kind of think, no, everything is fine now. No, it's not, like it still hurts. It still happens. But God somehow gives you enough to keep going. He gives you peace, he gives you joy. And I know that each one of you probably might have had a time in your life that it was hard, but that you knew I'm in God's place. Yeah. And that's enough. Jesus is all you need. Then Jesus tells another story. He has a lot to say here. He talks about a commander. He talks about there is a war coming. So this, this king, this country, is a smaller country because the opponent is much stronger. 
and there, I there is an in impending war and they know they cannot win. Their army isn't strong enough. So what do they do? In those times when you were conquered, you were slaves. You would be taken out of your country, you would be sold off to do the hard labor, you would never see your family again. So a wise commander would send someone to talk about peace. And how do you maintain peace? Well, in those times it meant that you had to pay tribute to the one who was stronger than you. So that meant that you could probably still stay in power, like the, the government could still kind of stay the same, but you were kind of a dummy government because, you know, they were really pulling the strings. And yes, you could still stay together as a family, which was a blessing, but that stronger kin would bleed your country dry. All the riches would go to that king. All the taxes would go up really high. So you knew that wasn't going to be an easy life. That was going to be really hard. But it's better than going to slavery. So when you're not a Christian, you know that your opponent is stronger than you. You know that when you give your life over to God, that he is the more, the stronger person. But you know what? The thing is that Jesus is saying is that he is the great master because he will not bleed you dry. He promises you everything. He will not make you a dummy government from your own life. He wants to reign with you. So he is the great master. So it's an easy decision to give over your life to him because he is great and he is there for you. He wants to rule together with you in your life and he is not bleeding out your riches, your talents. He actually adds to them and he wants to give you more. So what would it look like to give over your life? For us it looked like going places we didn't want to go. When we went into mission, we were asked, where do you want to go? And we were thinking somewhere Africa, and there were no pilot vacancies there, because Rene served as a pilot. But there was one place that we didn't want to go, and that was Arnhem Land. And especially not in the remote areas. We have heard a lot of stories about Arnhem Land, that it was really hard, and there were some things happening there that was really not nice. But guess where the only vacancy was? In Arnhem Land in a very remote island called Milangimbi, only reachable by plane. Here are some pictures. It's an island 5 by 5 k's, surrounded by water in the middle of the ocean, well, kind of in the middle of the ocean. It's about um, 5 k's to, the, to um, another place that's uh, it's not an island. Oh, I forgot the word. See? Dutch. <laughs> um, it's the capital of the sandflies in the world. <laughs> There's a handful of other white people. And I was living there with two little kids. Renee was flying a lot. It's very hot, very harsh. There's hardly any flowers. It's, it's dry. You know, it's top-end Australia. I always thought when we were flying in and out, um, that God just made that area just to look at from above. Because when you're on the ground, <sighs> But, um, so we had, like, it was so remote that we did our shopping online and every six weeks the barge would come, the boat would come to bring my shopping. Every three months we would fly out to Nullenboy Gove where um, I would shop things like meat and milk and things like that. Those were the hardest years of my life. We lived there three and a half years. It was incredibly hard. 
but they were also the best years of my life, and I cannot explain how. But I've never felt closer to God than there. I've never had an experience like that, to be so close with God, to just know that he is there every day, that he is there with his peace, and yes, it was hard, but he was there, and I've never felt so close than living there. In the middle, you see um, the lady, the two ladies in the middle have adopted us in our family. They are um, famous weavers, so if you ever go to some kind of um, indigenous gallery and there is weaving, it's probably from them. So it was a very speci special time to be admitted into their family and share life together. On the top picture, you see how they do church. Outside, in the evening, um, with the scruffy dogs around you in the dust. Um, but they are on fire when they're on fire. And they go every night for like two, three hours. But then they lose it and then there is nothing for months. And then there is a revival again and they go again. But that's how church goes there. So Jesus really is all you need there. Now, I could stop here because Jesus' story is finished. But that would not really be in context, would it now? Because you could walk out here and thinking, oh, well, she's doing a lot of talking up there and thinking, oh, the great job she's doing, giving her life over to God. But I cannot do that, not like that. And if you would walk away thinking that it's all hanging on your shoulders. You would go away thinking it's up to you and your works and your faith. But that would not be true. And that's how you have to always, you have to always look at the context. Because... When you turn the page, you go to Luke 15. And that's what Jesus is saying, I gave everything up for you. I am truly all you need, because that's the story of the lost sheep. It's the story of the lost coin. And you say the prodigal son, in Dutch we say the lost son. And all these stories are about who God really is about what a great father he is, about the pursuit that he is having to catch you. He doesn't want you to run away. He doesn't leave you behind. He doesn't overlook you. He is coming after you. And that's why he gave everything up for you. Everything. We cannot imagine what he gave up. Being the God in heaven, coming down to earth to be a human being, something that he created. That's what he gave up, all his privileges, to come after you. He sees you. He knows you. And that's the master we serve. He wants no one to be lost. And you know what? There's another point. Because Jesus promises you everything. There are so many promises in the Bible that we quickly skim over there sometimes. He promises to be with you. He promises that he will not leave you. He promises that he will give you family. He promises that he will always take care of you, that you don't have to worry about food or where you live or what you will wear. He promises you so much for on this earth. But that doesn't stop there. He promises you so much for our eternal life. He promises that he will give you a crown. He promises great rewards in heaven. And the greatest promise is to always be with you. 
you know, he gave everything up because he has a joy that was set before him. And that joy was you. Because he wants to be reunited with you. That was the joy. The joy was to be reunited, the bride with the bridegroom. And Jesus promises you everything. Now, you might say, but you don't know what I'm facing at the moment. You don't know what my future will look like. Next week, next month, I don't know what it's going to look like. And you're right, I'm not in your shoes, I don't know. But I do know that in 10 days time, we're going to the Netherlands, and here come the tears. <laughs> and Renee has a job to go to, which is such a blessing. We don't have a house to go to. It's a temporary place, but from the 20th of August, we need a house, and the house shortage is real. There's an, we can't buy a house yet. We can't rent a house because there's no rentals. I don't have a job and I don't know what God has in store for me. We're also going back to a country that we've said farewell to 14 years ago. 14 years is a long time. It doesn't feel as our home country anymore. Our kids have never lived in that country. A lot will have changed, so we're kind of going to a new country, but we speak the language. Um, we're also going back to our family. And yes, we've kept up, but we haven't had those intimate moments together, just sitting and having a coffee. You know, we're going back to finding our place again in our family structure. And if I look at that, I get overwhelmed and I get emotional and I don't know what it's going to look like. And I find it really hard to let that go. But then I think, okay, worrying about it doesn't help. I know that, even though it's really hard not to. But then what I do is I look back. God is always giving us a house, often bigger than we <laughs> I could even clean. And you know, he's always provided us with enough money. He's always provided us with people around us that were praying, people around us that were there for us. All the time, he has been there for us. And if he did it then, he will do it again. And if he did it for us, he will do it for you. I don't know what you go through, but I do know that Jesus is all you need. Now, I didn't want to pray or cry, but there you go. <laughs> you know, I've taken you on this journey. A journey that doesn't stop here. This journey through this passage was maybe sometimes difficult and confronting, but also that had highs. And your journey with God is exactly like that. Sure. You will have low times, but you will have highs. But it's a journey. It's step by step. And I really hope that one day you get to say that you consider everything loss. Just because the prize is to know him, to walk with him. To really know that Jesus is all that you need.